interrupt our program to bring you this important message. Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Be afraid. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. Ghouls and gore. And sometimes a little more. My bloody podcast. <laughs> What's up? Everyone, boys, girls, men, women, monsters, witches, it is still the Halloween season even though we're getting into Thanksgiving and Christmas, it is still Halloween to us here on the My Bloody Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. I'm Brian Kluger, you know, the host. And my co-host, who I want to put on masks with and watch television commercials with catchy jingles every day, the other host with the most, Preston Barta. What's up, buddy? I'm doing well. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. It's, uh, what is it, like 350 days to Halloween? Halloween, Halloween. Or 23 days after Halloween. (laughs) Halloween, Halloween. Oh my goodness, we have such a fun show today. Uh, Our main event today is Halloween 3, the season of The Witch, the one without Michael Myers. And I know you're probably thinking, why the fuck would you do that? We're going to tell you why, because this movie is actually awesome and diabolical and sinister and all sorts of stuff. We can't wait to talk about it. Uh, Preston, Thanksgiving is next week, man. Are you making anything bloody for Thanksgiving? I I mean, I hope not. I, I am making the turkey. One of my good buddies cooked up this really awesome recipe where you use like a cheese sheet. You lay it over the turkey and you bake it that way. And it's really good. It's like minimal, but there's a lot of flavor to it. So I'm making that for the family. And hopefully I don't cut myself up or anything like that. Well, if I don't want no do, blood. If you do, please video it because that would be awesome. Yeah, it'll look like a scene from that movie Basketball where he's like cutting <laughs> off his fingers, you know? He's just going. Yeah, and it's spraying everywhere. Oh, I like it. I like it a lot. Uh, yeah, Thanksgiving is next week. Uh, I believe we will be off next week just because of holidays and good stuff. But we'll be back uh, for sure shortly after Thanksgiving to give you all the Black Friday deals and more horniness, uh, of course. But yes, my bloody podcast here this week before Thanksgiving, Halloween 3, the season of The Witch main event. And of course, we have... Bloody recommendations, bloody questions, and we're debuting a brand new topic, a brand new section to our podcast in episode 74. We'll tell you about that a little later. We can't wait to talk about it. It's going to be super fun. But first, a little bit of the bloody news for you this week. Coming off first, trailers, movie trailers, and coming into Christmas... Wyatt has it, a new Christmas Carol adaptation. This time it's going to be on FX Networks, interestingly enough, and not on the Disney Plus Network somehow. Uh, But Christmas Carol uh, is coming out. I believe it's a TV mini event, and it stars Guy Pearce. It's it's a hell of a cast, but it's very horrific. The trailer, the trailer, it looks good in places and 
other place is terrible. And how do I describe a Christmas carol? You know, Scrooge and everything. Somebody on YouTube described it best. It, this is basically Bill Murray's from his movie Scrooge's uh promo for a christmas carol on what he actually wanted death carnage destruction torture and i was like oh my god that describes this trailer perfectly because like there's not really anything christmasy about it uh in my mind hell of a cast hell of a cast but good god preston did you watch this trailer yeah i watched it last night um with my wife in bed and i was showing her i was like hey there's this new christmas carol adaptation coming out it's on fx and i love i love fx so and it's, yeah like you said hell of a cast watched it and it was hard for me to even get through that trailer um it's it's it reminds me of that tv show that is no longer around ta- uh, taboo with tom hardy it's like so dark and grim that they're I, it just nothing seemed too appealing to me other than just the idea alone of it, it being a new take on a Christmas Carol, but it's really dark. And, uh, I, I don't know. Like there visually, were shots visually and tonally too, visually and tonally dark. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> like these gray tones and black. Um, but yeah, there was, there was one shot in the trailer that showed a baby drowning or a toddler drowning. I actually thought frozen about you. And you th- yeah. Yep. And I was like, as soon as that popped up, I was like, no. So <laughs> I thought when I was watching I that trailer, I thought about Preston because Preston has been known to leave screenings and turn off movies with stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Any filmmakers uh, releasing movies with like any dead children that are around the same age as my son. You, you ain't getting my eyeballs. <laughs> you should read my screenplay, Preston. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. You did, did you, like, change that on purpose? No, no, I did not. I did not. But I just know there are scenes with that uh, in there. But uh, with something like stuff like that. But, yeah, there there is a... There's like imagery of like these horrible things and you like you see Scrooge and you see Cratchit and the ghosts and stuff. And it takes place in like almost Puritan times. It looks like, uh, you know, back in the Dickens era type of thing. But it's, uh, it, I mean, watching the trailer, it's like, man, there's literally nothing Christmassy about this, this production at all. And there, I mean, it looks horrific. Uh, however, it also kind of looks cheaply done in certain aspects too. So and like the trailers cut super weird. Uh, I just in, so I, we're all for, at least I am all for horror and guts and shit like that. But with Christmas Carol, I mean, I think the darkest you can get really with it is Bill Murray's one because that goes some dark places, but it's lighthearted and fun too. So I have no it, idea. It needs that balance because there, there's darkness already in the original story. And then when you start going further down that road, it kind of makes it so inaccessible. Right. And like with this trailer, only that we've seen the trailer of this, you know, at the end of A Christmas Carol, all is well. Scrooge is happy. He's giving money to everybody. Cratchit becomes rich. You know, it's like a thing. 
And like, I cannot see this one. This, <laughs> it's going to end one. with murder. Yeah, everywhere. I cannot see this one going lighthearted. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I want to watch it, but I, uh, I don't know. Check out the trailer. It's going to be on FX. It's called The Christmas Carol. Of course, you know the story. Uh, moving on to another trailer, which is like a, it's a teaser, really. It's like a minute long. It's called Antebellum. It's a new film, I think, coming out from Lionsgate and. I mean, it's a trailer done well because it doesn't give anything away. and But it also shows you like it takes place in present time and slave times. And it, one of the comments on YouTube was funny. It was like, wow, every nightmare of a black person in this one trailer. <laughs> uh, and I was like, oh, you know what? Like, look at it. You know, that's, uh, you know, that might be true because it has, you know, slavery and then you know, in modern it, time, stuff like that. And I, you don't know what it really is about, right? No, it just seems like time just doesn't exist. I took a African-American literature class in college, and I can't remember the book title, but I loved it. It was something simple. It started with a K, and then it had to deal with being able to jump back and forth in time in the present and during early 1800s. And that, you know, when we watch a lot of movies from the past, and then we're like, God, not much has changed. There's still a lot that's corrupt and wrong about this world. This seems like it's just about that bridge. Like it's just creating that bridge to explore. But yeah, I love the not really knowing what this is about, but it's like, it has me so curious that I'm just wanting to like look for any sort of source material to explore on my own. And knowing that it's like Jordan Peele and then his whole kind of like, uh, us Twilight Zone kind of feel about it. Yeah, and from I the like people, the cast. Yeah, it's from the people that brought you uh, us and Get Out. So it it looks insane, and I'm so happy that a trailer like shows enough, but you have no idea what it's going to be about. Leave it like this. Yeah, just don't release anything else, just because I but like they, it like this. Because like the first part of this trailer, you're like, is this a horror movie? It just looks like you know. 12 Years yeah. a Slave, like a, a slavery movie, but then creepy an children and airplane. Yeah, no, it goes all these places and it kind of like shows like little horror tropes of like creepy children and people uh, behind other people grabbing you and stuff like that. And I was like, what is happening? So antebellum, count me in for this. <laughs> yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I, I, yeah, it's coming out uh, April of 2020. April 2020, there you go. Hopefully it's not April Fool's Day. Antebellum. I think it's like later. Later. April, actually. Later. All right. All right. Let's let's move on to an interesting bit of news. Uh, so, I guess we we've seen that Friday the Thirteenth uh, franchise is in developmental hell for any new ones because move different movie studios own the rights and nobody wants to do anything about it. So all of us fans suffer. And then, you know, Halloween finally found their footing and they're making three films, which is great. And now, uh, Wes Craven's estate, the director of the original Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven's new Nightmare, uh, they have the rights to Nightmare on Elm Street. And it looks like they are actively taking pitches from people for a new Nightmare on Elm Street. Uh, and it looks like they're trying to do a feature film as well as an HBO TV series. 
And uh, this just sounds crazy to me. Oh, God. I don't know what to think about this because there was a Nightmare on Elm Street series for a very little bit. And then there, of course, all the movies in a, the reboot that nobody liked. But uh, I'm curious. Like, I kind of want to pitch a story to the estate and kind of see where this is going because I kind of want more Nightmare on Elm Street. But I have no idea how this is going to work. Preston, your thoughts. This is exciting just because there's just so many different voices that could, you know, approach the estate. But it also just kind of depends on, like, what they're wanting out of it. Because uh, uh, I'm sure they're, they're like, yeah. I, I know that Elijah Wood and Daniel Noah's uh, Spectre Vision uh, might be interested in because they wanted to, they've long wanted to make their own sort of nightmare, uh, take on Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, the the talk is there, so that's that's cool that the states allowing that to happen. Well, it's you know we're we're definitely going to get more nightmare stuff. It seems like like unlike Friday the Thirteenth, where studios are holding all of that up, but it looks like we'll probably get new nightmare stuff within the next three years, I imagine. Uh, but you know, can you do a Nightmare on Elm Street without Robert England as Freddy Krueger? Because they tried and it didn't work. I think with the right talent behind it, it could work. It's just like hard to imagine. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, with Heath Ledger playing the Joker, but yet Joaquin Phoenix did his own cool interpretation of that. So it is possible. It's really hard to envision that, but I believe that it is possible. I wonder, because since they've never really explored in full detail, like freddy krueger as the serial killer and child rapist so that, so would you want like an origin story yeah no for sure that'd be i think that'd be badass like start with him as a teenager or something like that then growing and then uh perhaps uh him fully doing the kid thing and so, so something like joker yeah, like no. Phoenix, like something that takes that sort of approach. Right, right. And I think that could possibly be a first season of HBO. And then after that, you can get into like the real Freddy stuff, you know, like him at first coming into like the dreams and stuff. I think that would be super cool because in Nightmare on Elm Street, one, Freddy had been around for a while already. It, Heather Lane Cap wasn't the first one. So it'd kind of be cool to kind of see what happened before that i don't know i uh, oh my god can can i get in touch with nightmare on elm street or west craven's estate yeah how do you just reach talk? out to their estate i'm gonna have to google this damn it uh but yeah that's happening so get excited more freddy is on the way in the next couple years um unlike our friend jason Voorhees, who <laughs> doesn't seem to be coming back anytime soon besides fans. still in the doghouse still in the doghouse all right uh, let's move on. Uh, let, uh, Preston mentioned a name on uh, this last segment, James Wan. James Wan, of course, doing Saw and Conjuring and all that good stuff. Uh, he It looks like he's trying to reboot Frankenstein or at least make a Frankenstein-like film. So I'm very curious on where this is going. Um, so... What, what, what do you think about this? Um, my guess is that Blumhouse is wanting to take over the the failed dark universe put on by Universal. So they could be just developing something based uh, in hopes that the Invisible Man that's coming out next year, uh, Lee Wynell's interpretation, uh, will be successful 
and then that they, we, they would have this in the cannon to fire off afterwards. I think I've said on here, as we've both said, that we're fans of James Wan. We we like his work. If he came in to direct, that would, of course, be more interesting. However, with Frankenstein, I there's a particular mood to that story that I feel another filmmaker like uh, Guillermo del Toro would be more uh, perfect for, uh, even though I think he's even expressed interest in the past for wanting to do it, and it didn't quite work out, if I remember that correctly. But I, I just... There, there's a certain tone to it that I want, and I know James Wan's very good at certain imagery. It's difficult for me to articulate, but there's just like a different feel, a tone to James Wan's films compared to something that I would want out of a, a, a modern adaptation of Frankenstein. Do, do you know what I mean? No, I, I definitely know what you mean. I, there's, but So like as of right now... There are so many mo- Universal monster movies in the works, including Frankenstein, Dr. Frankenstein. There's one on CBS that's coming yeah. out. Uh, Paul Feig is doing one. Uh, and then even, um, yeah, Javier Bardem was slated to do this. but And he would have been perfect, too, because I'm thinking about his character from Skyfall. Oh, Skyfall, he, yeah. When Bond. he takes his teeth out and he looks very creepy. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, may, you know, who knows if they're going to try to do A Bride of Frankenstein story with this as well uh but it looks like james wan he's just blowing up uh yeah for the last well, better james years. wan than tom cruise you know <laughs> they real. i mean with the mummy with tom cruise i mean from day one i've always loved the mummies with brendan frazier and then they did this tom cruise thing with the mummy and you just got to look at it like it's tom cruise you know, with Tom Cruise wants to be part of your thing, you say yes because he makes hundreds of millions of dollars for you. However, that movie was just bad. It was just it was Mission Impossible with a mummy, and it's the same shit you've seen a, in a every movie. Terrible Mission Impossible. Yes, correct. So, and I think Universal wanted to do like a whole Universal monster with him thing, and they it just didn't do well because you can't make a bad movie. You know, it just people are. I like to say people are smarter than that, and you, sometimes they are, but. Uh, it's it would be nice to see like somebody like James Wan who's actually steeped in horror uh, take this on. Yeah, uh, I mean this just goes along with what we've been saying about the about Joker and how you know after the Dark Knight came out that kind of changed the way that films were being made and I hope that Joker after its billion dollar success. Uh, people start to take more risky uh, chances with their storytelling. And so I would love uh, something that's a little more dialed back. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. I, I I like Frankenstein. I like Frankenstein's monster. I like the story. You've seen so many iterations of it. So maybe they'll get their shit together here and we'll see something, right? Yeah. Get Robert Eggers to do it. And he'll shoot it in black and white and focus on hands. There you go. Yeah. Holler. I like it. Um, All right. Let's move on to some news that I'm just not excited about, really. (laughs) Um, Again, God damn it. They want to reboot Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Why in the ever-loving fuck do you want to reboot this again? Every... It's got to be the same producers as, like, Terminator. It's like, we got, you know, fifth time's a charm, guys. 
No, it's it's well, Fide Alvarez, yeah. the guy who did Evil Dead and Don't Breathe, wants to produce it. And I mean Set I, it in the White House. Well, so he's doing that too. So Fide Alvarez, the guy who did the reboot of Evil Dead and Don't Breathe, he's making a movie that he is described as the shining at the White House, which, right. okay, I can see that. But then he also wants to reboot Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And they have done this so many times, and they've all been awful. <laughs> uh, none of them have been very good. Most of them, if not, only one of them had made it to the theater, and that was the one with Jessica Biel and Michael Bay producing it. And then uh, everything else has been direct-to-video, and there's been like eight movies. So... They want to do it again. For the love of God, why? Don't screw it up. Just re- just re-release the original. It'll be perfect. Why would you want to reboot an original classic? And if you actually go back and watch the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there is barely any blood or gore in it. Um, surprisingly. Just a lot of screaming. A lot of screaming. And it's, it's just well Five minutes done. Straight. So I have no idea why they would want to do this again, unless they're taking it in a different place, or it would be just one of, like a remake. Just uh, IP, man. Yeah, I don't know what the deal is. Like he did a good job with Evil Dead. This was back in a time when Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell were saying, "No, it's never going to happen. No more Evil Dead. No more Army of Darkness. No more Ash." And Fide was like, "Oh, sure. Well, let's do it. I'll ha- have them help." And it was fine to stand on its own, but then. We got more Ash vs. Evil Dead and, you know, more Bruce Campbell on the way in that character. So it just feels unnecessary now. But with this, Texas Chainsaw Massacre holds a special place in my heart. And I just don't think any, I don't see the point in rebooting it yet again. So I don't know. What do you think, man? Um, There's just some horror stories, horror franchises, I guess, at this point that just should be left alone because there's nothing else to really explore. Uh, I like the first three Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. Uh, the fourth one tries to do something different, but just didn't really capitalize on it. Uh, so I, I don't know how they can bring something new to the plate without for how many times they've rebooted this uh, to make it feel fresh. Like, I feel like, I mean, because I know it's all about making money, but wouldn't it make more money? Like, to me, in my mind, it would make more money to re-release the original uh, with, like, a new, brand new set or, like, picture of it. And then uh, after the film, you have new bonus material with people who are involved in it talking about it or something like that. I mean, that's cool for, like, a... a a disc release but i just don't see if they did something like that it would be like a one night only type of thing because i just don't think people would really flock to it i don't know it's just it's upsetting because i know it won't be good (laughs) just like the rest of them have not been good can't they just do something like castle rock and just like set it within like a universe where like certain horror characters may exist and just kind of look at it through a different lens. No, see, that would be great. I love what Castle Rock's doing because you get to see Misery and Shawshank and all the Stephen King stuff. And it's that's a cool, it's a cool idea, cool concept, and it's being done for the most part well. But with this, I, I mean, 
I like Fide Alvarez. I like his last two films. I just, uh, why go this route? <laughs> you liked the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo film? Uh, oh, yeah. You know what? I did not. Uh, just don't <laughs> breathe an evil dead. <laughs> so, yeah, I, uh, I don't know, man. I'm not happy about this. Are you? Uh, n- no. Okay, good. <laughs> we're, 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 we're alike here. Yeah, we're friends for a reason. We're friends for a reason. All right. Uh, and and another, uh, another bit of news which has me super excited and pissed off at the same time. And I'll tell you why. I'm pissed off that Preston has still not seen this show yet. <laughs> because it is so good and he is losing out by not watching this because I know he'll love it. Uh, but I'm super excited that finally Netflix has renewed Black Summer, the intense, scary as hell zombie show for a second season. Finally, uh, the first season aired this past April, and it's just uh, its one of the scariest things I've seen. And in a sea and ocean of zombies, this is the best thing out there. Uh, full stop. Period. Stamp that. Preston, please. They're short episodes. You need to do it. Damn, I guess I need to see this. You you really do, man. <laughs> you're going to watch Black Summer Season 1, and you're just like, dude, Brian was right again, because I'm usually right. She's like, damn, this show is so good. It's so it's just they do it right. And, uh, oh, my goodness, I'm just so glad. Finally, I've been waiting for so long. It's like, how has this show not been renewed? But it's being renewed. The stars are coming back, including Jamie King. Uh, and hopefully it will take place right where it left off. Um, so I'm very excited for this. Uh, cool. Filming- oh, before before we move on, there was a uh, speaking of like Netflix and shows continuing. Do you you don't watch Mindhunter, do you? So I've only seen a couple episodes. I've never I have not seen the whole thing. Okay, so that's one of my favorite television shows. Period and. David Fincher is currently working on a film, and so it looks like it's going to be two to three years before the third season uh, comes out. Uh, uh, it took it took about two years for them to create season two. I think the first season came out in 2017. Uh, so on one level, I, I think we've said this before. Um, you know, we we're all for filmmakers and storytellers to take their time to create things and somebody like David Fincher, you know, who wants to, you know, have his hands in a bunch of different things and not just complete completely be, you know, like Chad Stahelski with the John Wick series and just continue just to, even though those are awesome, um, to be able to tell different stories. So, uh, on one hand it sucks, but if that's what it takes to get it right and to have David Fincher behind it, because he's very good at directing this particular series that feels very much like an extension of Zodiac and that kind of tone. And then just meeting all these different serial killers and like this past season with, uh, Charles Manson, Uh, it was just so exciting and like where they're taking the characters uh specifically is just as equally as exciting as like what particular serial killers would pop up in here for them to study so i'm uh i'm glad that they're gonna keep making it and it's not gonna be like fleabag or at least at the moment where it's just like hey these two seasons are really great we're gonna leave it alone now sorry 
um, <laughs> this is a case where I really want something to continue on. So, so yeah, might be two to three years before it happens. There you go. You got, you got a little while, probably the same time Nightmare on Elm Street's coming out. Uh, <laughs> uh, my then, son will be in kindergarten. There you go. Oh my goodness. Yeah, think of it that way. So uh, let's move on. Last week we kind of debuted a, um, a a segment where we're talking about records again because we've done we've done that a little bit time. We're trying to do that more often now. Uh, but uh, since we're doing Halloween three this week, let's talk about the the record. Let's talk about that album, the soundtrack to Halloween three, Season of the Witch. It's almost time, kids. The clock is ticking. Be in front of your TV sets for the horathon, and remember the big giveaway at nine. Don't miss it, and don't forget to wear your masks. The clock is ticking. It's almost time. Happy I have an original copy um, from when the film came out, 1982, from MCA Records, and I do know, I believe, was it Waxwork or Mondo that did the re-release? Uh, it's Mondo and Death Waltz. Okay, Mondo and Death Waltz, not Waxwork. So, yeah, Mondo, Mondotees.com, you can get the record, uh, did a re-release of this, and Halloween 3, the soundtrack, as you know, of course, didn't feature Mike Myers, the movie... Um, but it was produced by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter and written and directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, his first feature film he directed, which he had worked previously on other projects of John Carpenter. But John Carpenter and Alan Holworth, of course, did the music for this. So it's very John Carpenter-y, but it's very different than the... There's, a, there's almost like a more like video gamey synth vibe to this, right? Yeah, this was like one of the last, in my opinion, great Carpenter scores before he started getting into like these guitar-based scores, like They Live, A Big Trouble in Little China. So yeah, it has this synth sound very much cut from the fabric of the 80s it's my kind of stuff because i'm really into synth stuff and i think the uh this score is one of my favorite of the franchise right no it's cool and on the back of the original uh soundtrack that i have there's actually a picture of Howarth and uh carpenter and they're in their studio with like the real the real tapes an old school tube tv and like four different uh, synthesizers like keyboards. And so like, that's like what they did to create all of this. Uh, and it's, it's super good. And of course in the film, actually they do hint at, at a little bit of the old Halloween score in it um, here and there, or at least in one big scene. Well, they play the, they play a commercial for Halloween during one part. And then they actually there's uh, somebody, I think a security guard or something like that, or somebody's watching. No, it's uh, Tom Atkins himself when he's watching uh, Halloween and you can hear the original score in the background. Yes, yes. They they have added that score into the film, though, for sure. A little bit of it, but it's completely different. And, of course, like the big thing from Halloween 3, uh, the soundtrack, is the catchy as hell jingle, you know? Like, you know... Only two days to Halloween, Halloween, Silver Shamrock. Yeah, the the spin on London Bridge is falling down. Yes, happy, happy Halloween. So um, my copy, the original copy, uh, side A has um, 
seven tracks. Side B has five. And it's probably, what, what, 30, 40 minutes of music. So I'm curious, the Mondo Tease version, Preston, because like my, my soundtrack has like the original poster art on it and everything like that. And on the back, it like talks about every track on how it was recorded and what it meant and then all the instruments they used and the recording equipment they used, which I think is super cool. But with the Mondo release, uh, what what's the artwork like? What is there any new tracks on it? Uh, anything like that? Yeah, there's new tracks. There's On side A, there are 13 tracks. On side B, there's about eight. So there's alt mixes. They add more of the Silver Shamrock, like when it counts downs the days. In terms of the look, which was designed by Alan Hines, look him up on his individual website too. He does a lot of cool art as well. I think most recently he did something for Anomalisa. So he does like all these like really cool uh, digital design art uh, mixed with like pictures. He has really unique style that just kind of mixes all the different styles of illustration and design. Uh, but I really like the Halloween one because it's very simple. On the front just has a pumpkin made to look like the one that flashes in front of your screen when you're under its hypnosis state. On the inside, as you start opening the flaps, it has like the bugs, the bugs that come out of people's faces once they're listen to the Silver Sam Rock song and are affected by it and all the hellish creepy crawlies start coming out of your face. So it has that. And uh, in comparison to last week when I discussed Nightmare on Elm Street, how I said, oh, man, I really like text and I like uh, descriptions. I like notes. This one has two different notes on both sides of the flaps. So as soon as you open it, there's one by Tommy Lee Wallace that was written in 2014. And then there's one by American English journalist uh, Kim Newman on the other side. And so I read both of them. And on uh, Tommy Lee's description, Tommy Lee Wallace, uh, he describes what this particular sound meant at that period in making film and his collaboration with John Carpenter and how a lot of people like just dealing with like everything, what you can watch in the Scream Factory uh, making of just all the trials and tribulations that they faced and um, backlash that they got after releasing the film. Like even in this particular note, he admits that the movie should not have been called Halloween three and that it should have just been Halloween colon season of the witch. So probably all those things that we're going to get, uh, uh, get into when we discuss the film as well in the Kim Newman one, he talks more about the sound and what, what the movie meant at the time. And he made this really funny joke about how the sequels after this were just like rehashes. And he says, uh, eventually that led to Michael being beaten up by a rapper and remade by Rob Zombie. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, there's funny stuff in it. I did notice there is, because I'm all about grammar as a copywriter, there is one part where he says Tommy Lee Jones as the director. <laughs> Obviously, it's Tommy Lee Wallace. So... I had to point that out, but um, really well designed. Uh, the vinyl itself has it's orange and then it has like a green, like it's dipped in the orange, made to look like a rock. And it's like a little off, not perfectly circular. In addition, when you open up the vinyl, take everything out and admire its contents, there's a card game. Think of like Mrs. Cleo. It's like a sidekick card. And they have four of them. 
and they have the the mask, the different masks, the jack o' lantern mask, the goblin looking mask, and the skeleton. And so you can play this game where it's like this mystery prediction card. Um, it's really fun. There's like this whole list of how to play the game and how like one card can predict the other. So it's it's fun. You should look into it. So there's more going on than just the vinyl itself. There's a lot like a almost like a board game in a way. There's just like more going on with it than just the music. So uh, that's in terms of the design. That's what you have. Nice, nice. And it's on mondotees.com. Is it what thirty bucks, twenty five bucks? Yeah, I think it's around thirty bucks or so. So uh, they have more the other Halloween albums on there, but this, like I said, is one of my favorite soundtracks of the franchise just because it feels so different or seems more like halloween 2 mixed with escape of new york synth sounds and uh even has that terminator element going on i don't know what it is with uh i guess a lot of the synth sounds back in the day uh james cameron was like hmm yes let's (laughs) let's use that but uh yeah it's 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 really cool even though a lot of the music feels very incidental like it just doesn't feel like one continuous thing i would say it very much works within the movie and i think it really elevates scenes and it's not like overwhelming or overbearing in a way where you'd be watching it in like a lot of horror scores where they it's so loud and it takes away from silence or what would be better to watch in silence that john carpenter is very good at also kind of keeping it minimal that uh you know he'll play around with similar tempos and everything like that but then he'll just you know a character will f- come into frame and he'll just go gong so stuff like that <laughs> okay okay interesting interesting uh yeah it's a it's a it's a good soundtrack man and if um, if you can't find it, uh, the original one, I always like the original stuff, uh, but I need to get my hands on this Mondo Tease version or this Mondo version because uh, I want the extra tracks and the cool artwork because they usually do some pretty good stuff over at Mondo, don't they? Yes, they do. So this is $32. $32. Not bad for a record man soundtrack. Yeah, for all, That's that, for all that it comes with. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a good art piece too. You can hang it up. Now, can you can you play the happy happy Halloween Halloween Halloween? Yes, yeah. Like I said, I think there's a there's two on there, there where it go. does the countdown. Um, there you so go. yeah, it plays it a little less than the movie plays it, which is around fourteen times. Yes, it's a, it's a lot for sure. Very very exciting. Uh, but yeah, that's uh that's our that's our record talk or vinyl talk. We'll be back the next episode with some more of that. But let's move on to our bloody question of the week. A super fun one. Uh, this is where we ask a question, horror themed. We'll answer it, have a little fun with it. We'll bring it to Reddit, and uh, we will. Re- talk about the replies from that which is always a good for a laugh so the question this week in regards to halloween 3 like in halloween 3 if you were in charge of a major corporation what wicked act would you release onto the world so uh 
In Halloween 3, of course, the season of the witch, there's a big corporation whose underlying intent is to kill every child on Halloween in a terribly gruesome way. So if you were in charge of a big company, what would that heinous act you would employ to the masses be? What company would it be, and how would you execute your nefarious plan? So Preston, please enlighten me. I would, um, I, I get pissed off a lot while driving. So, uh, mainly just cause I live in Dallas and I deal with a lot of shitty people like every and I drive all the way about 40 minute drive to work. And so I deal with a lot of assholes all the time. Um, so I would like to work for some sort of engine or maybe like a tire company or a car CPU where I could like Samuel Jackson controlling, uh, you know, King Kingsman, like just some sort of device that allows me to control if somebody's about to pull a piece of shit move on me or if they did, I can, I don't want to get like too savage with it. I don't want to say pop their tires or something like that. Um, maybe like lower the, the air pressure. So they have to pull over. I don't want to kill anybody. Um, cause I'm a, I like to think that I'm a good guy. <laughs> um, but, uh, <laughs> something like, uh, the gas meter says that the gas meter, yeah, the gas meter says that it's low and you have to pull over, you got three miles till you're empty, um, or their car can't go, go over the speed limit or something like that. Just something where I can just block them from continuing to be an asshole for the rest of the day. Preston Barta, the mildly mannered evil guy. <laughs> yeah, it has to be connected to uh, mistreatment to other people. I'm not going to do a release something evil into the world that's going to kill kids. Why? <laughs> I, I think you know why. Come on, live a little. All right. I went super creepy and weird with mine. <laughs> I did. I was trying to figure this out. I was like, oh, man, I could actually write a short story about this, and this is really weird and fucked up. <laughs> Do you want to hear it? Um, I mean, I'll mute you. You'll mute me? You, you don't <laughs> no. want to listen to it? All right. right, let's. Yeah, just because I'm always curious how dark you'll go. So it's not like it's it's just, it's more creepy, um, but okay. So I would be in charge of a huge pharmaceutical company that makes medicine and pills, and so I would create a pill that cures and prevents all cancer, and I would provide it for free to everyone. Everyone would be taking this because nobody wants cancer. Nobody, nobody wants to prevent it, right? And it cures everything. But what sure. the pill actually does is transform a penis into a vagina and a vagina into a penis. <laughs> uh, I mean, people would be killing each other and themselves over this, I think. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine, Preston? Can you imagine the chaos? So it can... But it can prevent cancer, right? It can cure cancer. Yes. It'll just change. Oh no, no, no! Organs. It doesn't. It does not do any of that. No, it just turns penises into vaginas and vaginas into penises. There's... You don't think word will get out real quick? I think like. Because <laughs> I think people, I think people would actually take it if it says, "Hey, you can cure cancer," 
but you, you'll uh, you'll change uh, your sexual organ every now and then. Yeah, I don't think it'll happen like right away. I think like there might be like a trigger I can control with from a remote to like let it happen all at once, like you know a month after. Seven two months days. After. <laughs> and uh, yeah, no, I think I think it would be crazy. Like if you think of like the ramifications of this. It, I, what would you do? Like your wife would have a penis and the male would have the vagina, and I don't know how people would react to this. The Catholic Church would be fucked that. <laughs> oh my gourd! I mean, I mean, literally, that's crazy to me. So yes, that would be my nefarious plan. I think. I like that one though. So, like, it's not like killing people directly, but it's like forcing people to do it themselves by way of insanity or not willing to accept change. Yeah, it it, it creates a uh, interesting debate, I would say. And I'm I'm curious, like, you can go even far down as like to trans people, like if they've already had the operation, if they go back to where they were or whatnot. So, so. Does it change each time you take a pill? Like, how often do you have to take the pill? I said I didn't go. I didn't think that far into it. <laughs> I think it's irreversible. Let's go with that. I, I, I didn't know if it's like you take one pill and that's it. You can you can. That's the, the and it's price like that a, you pay. Yeah, it's like a horrible mutation too. It's like your penis just like inverts itself, and then the vagina just like extends itself. And I don't know. It's just, it, it's it's. I picture like an American werewolf in London transformation type of pain when this happens. <laughs> I, I, I would I would say like make the rules every month like you have to take the pill every month and so you you deal with sex changes every every month as well. Ooh, I like this. Oh, this is like a good idea. I think. Yeah, <laughs> that, that that would make a good short story. Maybe just de- depending on the answers from Reddit, uh, that would make a good collection. Yeah, there you go, there you go. So, should we, should we get to the Reddit answers? Yes, and I you uh, teased that there's some good ones that came out as soon as we posted it. So, I'm very curious. <laughs> so, the the amazing net handle uh, Casey Anthony's mouth. <laughs> I love that. Said Fantastic. I would actually make vaccines cause autism. <laughs> wow. I thought that was really funny to me. Um, the Crow Show, the Crow Show said, "If I were in charge of Warner Brothers, I would release the Snyder Cut." <laughs> and I guess he's referring to the Perfect. Justice League, <laughs> or the Justice League, or is he talking about Batman v Superman? No, yeah, he's talking about Justice, Justice League. League. Okay, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, <laughs> I think I said this joke to you about uh, Martin Scorsese. You know how all those jokes are out there, or he's making headlines because he says like Marvel's not cinema, but um, have a quote out there that said Martin Scorsese says Marvel's not cinema has seen the Snyder cut and says it is cinema. (laughs) That's pretty funny. We like you, The Crow Show. Go check him out on Twitch and YouTube. Uh, Dirty Mercury said, if I were in charge of Disney, I would employ I would employ subliminal messaging and mind control throughout all of Disney Plus programming hmm. to make anyone watching become hypnotized cannibals and eat anyone who didn't buy Disney Plus. Fuck, that's cool. 
That's great. Um, Ibax said, anyone stupid enough to support Donald Trump will wake up with their genitals decomposed into dark sludge. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Voorhees89 said, I like the killing kids plan, although would it also extend it to the elderly and deliver masks to retirement homes? So he went pretty dark. Basically, if you're middle-aged, you're safe. So, I'm already I'm already uh fearful of getting old and that's just another layer of icing on the cake. Yeah, there you go. And JWBM said my diabolical plot to unleash havoc and discord across the world. Starting tomorrow, everyone will be able to see which friends have muted them. Mm. <laughs> mm. Uh so that's pretty good. So I, I thought these were pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I was Pleasantly surprised with that question. Very good, Brian. Pretty, pretty fun. Pretty good. We will uh, use Reddit. We'll, we'll, we'll post this in the in the podcast so you can check out the rest of the answers. Uh, and you can email us at mybloodypodcast at gmail if you care to elaborate on uh, on what you would do in this type of thing, penises and vaginas included. So moving on to um, well, let's. Do you want to debut our uh, our new our new segment, man? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I I haven't come up with a name with it, so maybe you could write into us at my uh, bloody podcast at gmail dot com or tweet us or Instagram, whatever. Um, or we'll come up with something. But uh, right now, I I want to pair a music track or a song with the movie that we're talking about for the week just some sort of pairing that will go nice with it so uh brian did you happen to think of one that might go really well with halloween three season of the witch i did actually i did i did um when you first brought this up, I thought of like three different songs and I picked one of them. And uh, I wonder if we have the same song. I have no idea because we have no idea. But my song is from 1968. Nope, not mine. Not yours, not yours. Uh, and it is a song by the iconic, the famous band, The Kinks. And it is a song called Wicked Annabella. From mm. the album The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society. From 1968, the song was written by Ray Davies, of course, but it was sung by Dave Davies. And this song, okay, so if you've ever heard this album, uh, The Kinks Are the Village Green Preservation Society, you should definitely get it. But the whole album is upbeat and fun and lighthearted, but this one song is just fucking sinister and dark and crazy. Uh, man, it, it, it's such a cool song, and uh, it doesn't get a lot of play. And actually, the Kinks have never performed this song live. Uh, but, you know, there's like lyrics in the song that are like, little children who are good should, should always go to sleep at night because wicked Annabella is up in the sky hoping they were, will open their eyes. Mm. Uh, it like, talks about killing kids and stuff like that. So that's kind of like Halloween 3 in a way about this really wicked person named Annabella up in the sky looking to kill people, especially children. Uh, and it's like such a departure from the kinks' uh, normal... Uh, 
no normal cabinet of songs, really. And it's just a just a cool, 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 um, cool music track. Uh, but yes, again, it has never been performed live at all, but it has become uh, the favorite of Dave Davies. And the song was covered by bands such as the American Band, the Ophelias, British Doom Metal Band, Uncle Acid, and the Deadbeats. So by the name of those bands, you know that's like metal. So they like this song. Uh, it is super good. I hope everybody please go out and buy the album uh if you can find it on vinyl do it buy the cd whatever or if you just want to download the song on itunes or listen to it on spotify do it it is called wicked annabella and it's super great uh preston i'm curious this is our first one i'm excited yeah all right well i'm gonna pop my cherry with a song that's probably not on vinyl at all because <laughs> it's so goofy um, mine is a 2011 track by the Norwegian comedy duo slash band uh, Yelvis. <laughs> they did uh, that song that's just as annoying as the Silver Shamrock song, uh, The Fox. What did The Fox say? But this particular track is called Stonehenge. Oh, not to be confused with uh, Spinal Tap Stonehenge, right? C correct. Uh, yeah, th one of the hooks is, what's the meaning of Stonehenge? It's killing me that no one knows. <laughs> so uh, th perfect, perfect with uh, Halloween 3 because they got elements of Stonehenge in it. And that's what causes everybody to go fucking bananas. I have got to check this out, man. What is happening there's a music video, so yeah, look it up on YouTube. Yelvis, uh, spelt with a Y, L V I S, and uh, yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a comedy track, so it's very goofy and funny. Um, just people poking holes at or just poking fun at mysteries of the world. Oh, that's amazing! Yeah, it does not look like this band, this comedy band, has. Uh, a record at all they have cds and mp3s but it does not look like they have a, a record which is upsetting because i kind of want this single now <laughs> yeah a, a 45 of it or something yeah yes 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 so yeah cds elvis elvis yeah uh, I, I i punched in the pronunciation on youtube and uh the, the only one i stumbled across was uh, as soon as you hit play, yield this. All right, so yield this. So yeah, so um, so they're the same people that did what did the fox say? Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm going to YouTube right now to Stonehenge, um, to Sto the Stonehenge video, and holy fuck my balls! It has 32 million views. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm surprised uh, this one uh, slipped between the cracks for you. No, this is insane. So I guess the best comment so far uh, on this video is, I deeply admire how they rhymed high with technology and today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my god. Yeah, they, they got jalapenos and uh, prosciutto, calamari. Yeah, it's a wild song, man. And then the, the next comment, well, next best comment was, okay, let's just all take a moment to realize that he had a conversation with the chorus in the middle of the song. <laughs> 
It's yeah. just, just so funny. No, how yeah. have I not heard? I mean, I've heard of What Did the Fox Say, but I had not heard of this song. This is excellent. Yeah, this, this one has like really funny lyrics that are totally your taste. Uh, <laughs> one verse is, she gives me a smile, then she plays with my balls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> some of the comments on YouTube video are so funny. I bought a Civic 50% because of this song. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness this is just too good i can't i cannot technolo technology <laughs> yeah as soon as soon as we wrap up this episode just hit play watch, watch the whole thing yes uh and then so my, my last comment on this song somebody said uh, i don't know why but i really want paul rudd to do a cover of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah like him and jimmy fallon uh do they did like a really funny uh, sticks song um, so they could recreate the music video that would be hilarious oh that would be good that's funny that was great i like this segment oh my goodness uh so on our other sh our, our, i do another podcast on this network uh called the unbalanced note and we we do something sort of similar in a way where we try to introduce you to something uh, new. And I, this is just so great. I love this because I had no idea this Elvis song existed. And now I really am going to actively try to find this on vinyl bootleg <laughs> style because this just is so good. <laughs> they, don't, they don't have it in uh, like a Norwegian area well so i was looking for like their actual website because i've ordered stuff from overseas from you know to get stuff that's not available here and i can't find their website either so mm. uh i i have no idea all as i know is i see like one or two cds and a bunch of mp3s so that would be super cool stonehenge i like this preston you're you're the man <laughs> you're welcome you, you're welcome all right let's move on to bloody recommendation time where we recommend a film or TV show, vintage or brand new, that we just want you to watch, want you to see. We want you to love it, smell it, and hug it as hard as you can till it bleeds. Preston, what is your recommendation this week, good saw? My recommendation this week, again, comes from Scream Factory, the good folks at Scream Factory that are cranking out awesome stuff. Um, this week, or the upcoming week, or when this episode is released, uh, they will be putting out Dracula from 1979 with Frank Langella. He has walked through centuries, untouched by time. He has seen empires rise and fall. He possesses the wisdom of the ages. Throughout eternity, no man has ever provoked such terrible fear and such haunting desire. Dracula, starring Frank Langella, with Laurence Olivier. I am the last of my kind, descended from a conquering race, but I must warn you to take good care. If at any time my company does not please you, you will have only yourself to blame. Oh God, help my poor soul! story of the greatest lover who ever lived, died, and lived again. Sanctuary! 
as I've mentioned before on this podcast, when I've I've also reviewed uh, Christopher Lee Dracula films, I'm a I'm a big Dracula guy, and I had this was a blind spot for me. I had never seen this film, uh, despite being a fan of Frank Langella and his whole kind of like Shakespearean theater approach to acting and uh the director john badman who's done movies like war games and uh, short circuit and saturday night fever um so this was the movie that he did right after saturday night fever and uh it's a god it's a it's an excellent uh dracula film uh franklin gella um compared to christopher lee who christopher lee just has this you know he has that deep voice and tall and uh creepy franklin gella takes like elements from christopher lee elements from lugosi and brings this sort of charm to it it's it's like imagining guillermo del toro making a dracula film because it's not so much about the blood and uh, that sort of thing. Like you don't even see fangs in this film at all or uh, red eyes from its titular character. Um, So a lot of it is focus of hands, uh, which I really loved. So with this particular scream factory edition that, that came out, it comes with the original uh, cut of the film uh, that came out in 1979. Then it also has a 1991 director's version of the film so it's not a a uh, new assembly per se but it has a desaturated uh color to it where it looks more black and white and noir with like touch touches of color here and there whether that's a flame or a, a, a yellow dress or whatever what have you um but it's really cool. I actually prefer that version because the uh, I watched that one. Uh, when I uh, reviewed this film and then I popped in the color one just to see what it looked like, if it altered my feeling of the film and it's made to look more like a classic kind of like gone with the wind kind of feel. Um, So I think just depending on what, how you like your classic cinema, you just have these two different options. So there's that, but uh, the film itself, it's, it's very much like the, the same story, but there's uh, certain spins that they put to it, in particular with the Van Helsing character. And uh, But I think that what impressed me the most was just the, the hand motif of the introduction to Dracula is through hands. The movie opens with uh, Dracula being transported from Transylvania um, to England – and he uh, kills the the people on the on the ship, and so you don't see him in his full effect. You just you just see his hand, and he like cuts the captain's throat, and then he lands on this island, and then it's an island that's uh, dedicated to the treatment of mental ill patients. And, uh, I like how I you're mention- describing this. <laughs> it's it's just that there's so much going on. It's so layered, <laughs> and on so top of funny. that, it's got Donald Pleasance in it. No, oh, hey, it's a it's a it's a sister film to Halloween, right? Exactly. Um, but yeah, I, I I just you know like I'm gonna keep bringing up Joker, but you know like there's just like a 
a, a reserved kind of feel to that film. It's very contained. It's just like it doesn't feel the need to really, you know, dive into uh, some of the, like the horror tropes per se. Um, like I mentioned with Dracula, not really having fangs or anything. Franklin Gala just just taps into the romanticism of the character. Like he's a charming fella, uh, really woos the women. And uh, the way that they have him move about um, the night is really fascinating. Like they show him like crawling up the wall and it, it has like this very jarring feel. I, I mean, it looks like he's laying sideways on like a flat surface and they just tilt the camera and that he's like being held up by ropes and it kind of gives this like very calculated kind of feel to it. So there's just like all these things that they do direction wise that I found really fascinating, but I really like the, 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 the arc of the film, uh, the progression of it and how it feels like a slow burn. And then it'll have some elements that are very dark. Uh, for instance, there, there'll be like one, uh, vampiric character who does have bloody eyes and does have, uh, like that smeared white makeup kind of look looks like a zombie vampire and um the way that it's shot too is really well done there's a scene uh that involves a vampiric character um and it's shot through the water and you see her reflection you may be like hey you know you can't see vampires through reflection uh but this one because they change uh, certain things about it it makes perfect sense so uh, i just was really impressed with this film uh John uh, Badham's uh, direction with the film and uh, Franklin Gale's performance. Um, so yeah, definitely check this one out. And there's some uh, really cool extras on the film from Scream Factory as as normal. Really cool uh, package design. Um, so it's the it's the real deals, the whole shebang. So yeah, you can get that through shopfactory.com/shop. There you go. There you go. Dracula, Franklin Gale. I like it. I like it. Um, my, my bloody recommendation this week goes along with Halloween three. You know, it is not a Halloween movie. It is a film from 1960 in Italy called Black Sunday. Not since Dracula stalked the earth has the world known so terrifying a day or night. It is I who renounce you, and in the name of Satan, I place a curse upon you. Black Sunday is like no motion picture you have ever seen. There are those who believe, and those who do not. But both must know the suspense, the shock of meeting the living dead and of bringing the dead to life. Is directed by Mario Bava. Yes, that Mario Bava who's given us a ton of great, excellent uh, Italian horror movies, including that uh, famous vampire one. Remember that one? 
Mm-hmm. Yes, the little one that was kind of like alien type of thing. Yeah. They got this stuff from Alien. But yes, this movie, Black Sunday. And of course, you know Mario Bava, the father of Limberto Bava, who gave us demons and demons too. This movie is about a witch from the 1600s. And she is sentenced to her death for her witchcraft. Uh, and, uh, you know, a couple centuries later, um, she is reawoken in spectacular fashion. Actually, when she is uh, burned at the stake or whatever, actually, she's not really burned at the stake. She has this metal mask, which, you know, you could probably get from the 1980s Demons movie. Metal mask with spikes embedded in her face. And, then, of course, some people go to her grave a couple centuries later and break shit while trying to kill a, a, a bat and she is awoken and she tries to wreak havoc and seek revenge on the people of the line that killed her uh, and it is actually a super gory movie and it was banned in a few countries uh, including the US um, for how gory it was at the time and it is a damn fine well made movie yes there is like the silliness of Italian stuff to it but like dubbing like dubbing uh however this is a, it's actually a pretty good movie um and is uh really really well done and yeah it takes place in the 1800s uh but uh yeah black sunday please check this movie out if you love horror and love the witchcraft type of thing um you got to think that uh eggers watched this movie when he was making The Witch, don't you think? I'm sure he watched a lot of uh, witch movies. But uh, during your description, I've never seen Black Sunday. Um, But I have seen Season of the Witch by uh, George Romero, which also sounds very much like this. Yes, yes. I think they both probably drew inspiration for this. And you can get this movie... uh, on Arrow Films or Kino Lober um, on Blu-ray, whichever you prefer. Uh, but yes, uh, there is some some pretty cool stuff with these Blu-rays that the, this movie's on. But yeah, Black Sunday. You've probably seen the poster to it. It's super cool. Uh, but yeah, check this movie out. Um, they, they do a good job with it uh, for being a movie that is, uh, well, what, 70 years old? Uh, so about 50, 60 years old. So, uh, yeah, check it, check it out, sir. Uh, Black Sunday and, uh, and Dracula from the 1970s for Frank Langella. Let's, uh, let's, let's recommend those to everybody. So let's all, let's all sit in Indian style. Let's, let's gather the Ouija board, sit in a circle, light the candles, because it's time for the season of the witch, the main event, Halloween 3. You don't really know much about Halloween. Halloween. The barriers will be down between the real and the unreal. And the dead might be looking in. The last great one took place 3,000 years ago when the hills ran red. Halloween, the you happen to know anything about this Cochran? All I can tell you, mister, is watch out. Season He's watching you, friend, I guarantee you that. Trick or treat, trick or treat. Hey, Mr. Cochran, just what is the final process? Fellas, I was just kidding. Witchcraft. To us, it was a way of controlling our environment. Hey! Oh my goodness, this movie, 
how and why uh, did this movie happen? So the season of the witch may came out in 1982. Um, with a budget of about two million bucks, it made about fifteen million, so it was relatively successful. And it was produced by John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, who did Halloween one and two. And it was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace. This was his first feature film. He had worked previously on many films with John Carpenter, and of course, the music was by John Carpenter, which we discussed before. And it stars Tom Atkins. Uh, Stacy Nilkin and Dan O'Hurley, which we'll talk about later because that's a fun cameo. Um, and then, so yeah, this movie, uh, I'm trying to remember when I actually saw this movie uh, because I definitely didn't see it when it came out. I would be too young, but I do remember it seeing it probably, you know, before Bar Mitzvah age, age 10 to 11, renting it at the local video store, you know, after seeing Halloween 1 and 2. Uh, and I was just shocked. I was like, where the fuck is Mike Myers in this movie? So, but that being said, this movie is damn good. And, you know, watching it this week again, you know, so many times, uh, it still holds up as like being just so out there and good in like evil fucking movie. Uh, so that's, that's kind of how, where I still place this. And like, does it hold, uh, in the same franchise as Halloween. I mean, music wise, maybe a little bit, uh, but no certain shots. Yeah. Certain shots for sure. Practical we'll, effects. Yeah. Certain shots for sure. We'll definitely talk about that, how there's very similar aesthetic to it, but, uh, this kind of stands on its own and I still think is a great movie. So Preston, what, what about the first time you saw this movie and, uh, do you still enjoy it to this day? I can't recall the first time I, I watched it. Um, I was probably a little kid when I, you know, again, watching all the original horror franchises when I was a kid. I went through them then. But I think that the last time that I can recall where I, like, knew everything of what was going on was probably five years ago, actually. So not too too long ago. Um, but <clears throat> I think when we first launched this podcast, I had talked about it. And I'm and I wasn't a fan of it. Um, I just I tried watching it with my wife, who's a big fan. Like Halloween, the original 1978 Halloween is her movie that you have to watch uh, during Halloween. And so uh, you know, after you watch that one, it's kind of like let's keep going. Let's see uh, where we go from here. And uh, we did that this uh, past Halloween, but uh, we skipped the third one because she didn't want to watch it. Um, so. Uh, this one, I have grown to appreciate it uh, more just based on its sheer daring, um, but it's it's still hard for me to kind of like separate that it's a part um, of the franchise. Um, but I think if you think of it on its own terms, it's, it's a pretty uh, scary movie. Um, but I think it's heavily problematic. There's a lot that we could discuss um that doesn't quite work today but uh overall i think just in terms of tone and things that it's trying to achieve it's pretty successful in uh conjuring up some frights right it is so for those of you who forgotten or have not seen halloween 3 
Uh, again, reiterating, this movie does not have Mike Myers in it. Uh, the, not not the masked, the white mask killer with the knife. No, that he's not in this movie whatsoever. Doesn't take place really in that universe per se. Um, so. You mean it doesn't have Mike Myers in it? It doesn't have O behave. It doesn't have O behave. We're, we're, Michael we're, Myers. Yeah, yeah we're <laughs> we're on terms with uh, we call him Michael Mike. Yeah, we were Michael. We we're, we're friends. Yeah. Um. So he's Mike to me. Uh. So, uh, the film takes pl- place uh, in the eighties, of course, and uh, you basically this movie starts out with this guy running uh with this like pumpkin mask uh not on but like in his hand and then this guy in a suit gets out and tries to kill him and he kind of gets away and so uh we're like what's happening what's happening and then later on in the hospital he's brought to the hospital and this person in a suit who seems very robotic uh comes in and like oh my god just literally rips his skull out of his face like takes his eyeballs and nose like it's gross in the sound do you, do you think that that's a comment on the second film where he'd be like that's here's the shortcut what you should have done right right no that might i i, I think you could be right with that um yeah i like that i never thought about that actually uh so yeah that's interesting but uh, after this happens, we f- we start seeing this commercial with that jingle, you know, eight days to Halloween, Halloween, Halloween. And it's a commercial for a company called Silver Shamrock who's making all sorts of stuff, including three scary, fairly uh, good masks for Halloween for kids. And then uh, throughout the film, uh, it follows this doctor and trying to go after like what has happened to this guy that died violently in his hospital. And then you see like this company uh, is actually not uh, made of humans, but of robots. And they are shipping these Halloween masks to kids with the hope that they put them on and watch the horror movie marathon on TV. And then when the commercial with the jingle, happy, happy Halloween happens, it sends a trigger to their mask, which immediately kills them and puts, uh, like injects, like opens a portal to like, like hell or something. And then, yeah, all the snakes and roaches and crickets crawl out of their mouths and orifices, which will then in turn kill anybody in the room with them. Uh, it, it's horrific. They show this and it's practical effects and it's just, oh goodness. And the reason this is all happening is because this corporation has unearthed like this witchcraft, this witch from Stonehenge. Yes, that Stonehenge that wants to take over the world. And it's just like, that. that's like like the general brief description of this movie. There's more to it, but... Saying that, like, you're drawing from some pretty cool places here, like Stonehenge, you know, some people were like, oh my goodness, there's magical powers to this, so they drew from that, and like, witchcraft, and bringing it only to kids is like, super crazy, uh, especially for the time as well. So I think, with that being said, my general thoughts on this film, like, the, my, my thoughts on this movie, like, when I say a movie's evil, I think of something like... uh 
the event horizon, you know, mm-hmm. like that's an evil movie. It's a great movie, but it's evil. And I think Halloween three is right up there because it is this huge corporation, whether it be Disney or Apple or anybody literally going to kill every kid in the world horrifically and then trying to kill the the adults in the room with them. It, it's insane, but you add like the robot element and the, the um, witchcraft element. It's just it's so good. It's, 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 it's just evil fuck. And I just like think like, oh my goodness, they got away with this. And I'm, I'm trying to think of like they can make a movie like this today. And I like, think yes in a way, but oh man, I, I still love this film to this day. Those are my, my general thoughts on the film. And I know Preston... You said earlier that you didn't like the movie to begin with, but maybe for the past few years it's grown on you? Yeah, I think it's just because I I wanted what probably mass audiences wanted when the movie came out, that it would be a continuation of Michael Myers. But uh, now as I've matured, done a lot of studying into the Halloween franchise, and John Carpenter and Deborah Hill's intentions with, you know, Michael Myers died in Halloween Part Two. Uh, it only makes sense that they would try to do something else, like they do these little one-offs or two-offs. Um, like it'd be cool if they had just kept going forward with, um, like this is such a unique story that they could just keep going with it uh, in some other direction. Um, and then it would wrap up with like a, a second film and then they could make something else. But it just the way that studios work today and because it didn't do well at the time. And it was before the Internet when people could, you know, they know the ins and outs of a movie before it hits the screen. And at this time, nobody really had an idea they were expecting for it to have Michael Myers in it. And then uh, the, the only way that it pops up, like I had mentioned way earlier is that uh, they show a commercial and then they show part of the movie, the original Halloween. So it, uh, so that makes it where this isn't set within the same universe as Halloween. This is like meant to be a different universe, maybe something kind of like our own that we're watching in. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, that, that's just kind of how it's been for me. Like I've I've grown to appreciate it more just because it's just so far different from the rest of the movies that uh it's it's like it's the bastard child of the franchise um but i like it that it that it it at least now i i like i i like and appreciate a lot more about it just because it's just stands out on its own Right, right. And like Preston said, like even though I really like this movie, there are some flaws in it, like how and why this movie exists. So, you know, since the success of Halloween 1 and 2, the film studio is like, John, Deborah, please come do a third one. And John and uh, Deborah were like, no, thanks. But we can do one if it's not a direct sequel or to Halloween 2. Which mean, of course, Michael Myra was not going to be in the movie. So they went on and they got some writers and they went like sci-fi and different with it. And they made Halloween 3, even though Carpenter and Hill were uh, were there as producers and score and like uh, kind of a heavy hand with it, I think. And I think... I think they just want to do something different and you can't blame them for that. However, 
you know, let's say Friday the 13th or Nightmare on Elm Street. Like, what if, like, in the middle of those franchises, you just X'd out Freddy or Jason? It just kind of like, well, we came here for one thing, and we got not that. (laughs) Right. And you called it the same thing even with the sequel title on it as well. So it's kind of, you know, it's kind of uh, not misinformation, but I'm sure... It's just, it's not the right title. Like what I mentioned when I was reading the, the Mondo vinyl of Tommy Lee Wallace saying like they should have just taken three out of the title. I think that's putting a dark cloud over the film since its inception. Right, right. Like, even like if they would have done something like Star Wars where like, you know, Cougar the Witch is Halloween story or something like that, that could have been cool. Halloween, just putting Halloween in the title just opens it up in a way that it doesn't necessarily have to register with the Halloween franchise. It's not like Friday the 13th where, or nightmare on Elm street where it's, it's so specific where Halloween, you have it with the holiday itself and it could just be its own different thing. But I think that was just their fear at the time that it wouldn't exist uh, or it wouldn't uh, do so well if it didn't have three in the title. And so they just want to kind of continue that. But just because it was so early uh, in the film industry before they opened it up to the way that it is now with the internet, uh, there was no real way of preparing people that it was a, uh, it was going to go forward as an anthology series and not a continuation of the, of Michael Myers's story. Yeah. Um, it's interesting, like, some of the flaws in this movie are, like, just, if you think about it too much, you would, like, it's like, this movie doesn't make sense. However, you know, you just have to pass that. Like, this corporation shipped these giant Stonehenge, Stonehenge stones somehow without anybody noticing. And then, like, the thing of the movie is basically you're killing kids for what reason? You know, are they replacing them or you're just you just want a robot army? Like, what's the deal? <clears throat> yeah, the the intentions are not quite clear. I, I think it's just trying to create some sort of ambiguity there, mystery for you to kind of fill in on your own. But uh, I mean, like the film ends on a very ambiguous note. Uh, it could be just determined on what you would would like to bring to or project on the screen. It could end on a doom note or it could be a happy one. Right. Um, because like, so the end of the film will, will, you know, spoil it. Cause I mean, this movie has been out for 30, 40 years. Uh, the, the end of the movie, it follows the, uh, the character, this doctor who's been through the whole movie, Dr. Daniel, uh, chalice played by Tom Atkins. Um, He's trying to get these news stations to like pull this commercial, pull the programming because this stuff is happening to kids. And then he succeeds to a degree, but one of the networks forgets to pull it off and it actually. Or, or maybe it doesn't. But maybe it, it, it doesn't. just lingers a little bit longer than the other one because the other ones will pop up and say, uh, sorry, uh, error or whatever. And then they flip the channel because the kids, you know, they have their masks on. Uh, it ends with like him at a gas station and then some kids, uh, pull over and then they, the, the commercials on, they hear the tune, they gravitate towards it. And then once that one channel goes down, 
goes down and then the second one and then it goes down but the third one's still there and then it's tom atkins shouting stop it stop it stop it and then it just credits come up yeah so it, it could leave it open where like oh it happened or it didn't happen but you know do you think this movie has anything like with george romero's on the dead consumerism of like Everybody mm. trying to buy masks and Halloween stuff because there is that element to it of a corporation trying to yeah, sell things yeah, to Yeah, American you. commercialism. Yeah, yes. it's digging into that. I mean, Carpenter did that with They Live. Um, Correct. So, yes. Yeah, so uh, th- that's what's kind of cool about it, that it, it has more on its mind uh, than just being a movie that's, you know, uh, no offense to Michael Myers going around killing people. But, um, yeah, that th- there's uh, – yeah, there's much more going on, and I think that's what makes it a fascinating thing. I think uh, they they just, you know, there's there's so much going on, and they can't quite keep up with all the points and put them together uh, in such a way that's uh, wholly satisfying. But I think there's just so much fascinating ingredients in this stew that uh, it's a lot to stew on. Right, right. Yeah. You know what I would have liked? Um if they had made a sequel to this and they did like the second chapter, uh, this movie could have ended, uh, in a way where like right after they could do either a stinger or something. And it shows, um, that maybe the, the alien robot invasion of the body snatchers army have a, a backup agenda or have an alternate agenda where, you know, they're wanting to kill the youth, I guess, to, as you said, maybe take over the world. Um, but maybe they would have one guy that's on the ground taking care of the people who are maybe not being sucked into this vacuum of of hell. And that is Michael Myers. And so he has like a shamrock uh, thing on the back of his mask. And it could have ended in a way where... Michael Myers uh, gets the mask, and then he's controlled. There you go. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's super weird. Super. Uh, there's just so much going on with that. Um, so, uh, with this movie, Halloween Three, do you think it's a more sinister film than any of the Halloween movies? Oh yeah, yeah. I think, like you said, like there, there's evil movies out there, and I definitely think a movie like Event Horizon is evil, and this one just how I just can't quite put my finger on it and the the actions that they're carrying out in the film of killing kids and then seeing like what the consequences of the follow-through are of, uh, of a face just can be completely disintegrated with uh, death just pouring out of it with bugs and everything. I mean, it's a scary image and then you know, they have other frightening images, uh, such as the woman who gets zapped by the shamrock uh, thing and uh, fries her face and she's still alive and she's kicking in her hotel bed. And um, so, yeah, I, I just think that that's why I had mentioned earlier that there's there's just particular scenes and images in this film that are just far more frightening than anything of the Halloween franchise, even if uh dread out of the equation um because that's what makes the halloween franchise so great is that um you know they're or at least the good ones you 
it has that build up. You know, you see the shot from outside of Michael Myers, and then you're like, oh man, those uh, teenagers just having sex are about to eat a knife. And <clears throat> and then with this, just seeing like as soon as you hear that song, it's terrifying because you know that it what what can unfold. So uh, yeah, I, I think just on a pure image base. Um, this film is much more frightening. I agree. I agree. Uh, a little bit about the cast. Uh, Tom Atkins, the main star of the film, you've seen him in tons of things, including Maniac Cop, Lethal Night Weapon, yep, uh, Escape from New York, The Fog. He's worked with Carpenter. He does a good job here. Um, but I'd like to talk about uh, the owner, the, the president of the. Silver Shamrock, Daniel Peter O'Hurley, which is, you would recognize him in Preston's uh, Best Friends uh, famous <laughs> movie. Peter Weller. <laughs> Robocop. He's the old man who owns, um, oh, what is it? What's, what's, the, what's the company? I, I, oh, my goodness, in Robocop. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if you can get it. No. Oh, my goodness. OCP. Oh, OCP. OCP. He's the old guy. Uh, who, um, that, that's him and he's young in here and he's just, you see him, you're just like, oh, he was kind of a nice guy back then. I don't know. But then also there's a really cool cameo, uh, the wife of Tom Atkins in the movie, Nancy, uh, Keys or Kai's. She was, uh, Annie in the original Halloween, uh, known as her stage name, Nancy Loomis. And then Jamie Lee Curtis has a very, uh, small voice role in the film yeah. as well. Yeah, she's the operator, and she's on the telecom. Yes, which is kind of cool. So, yeah, a little bit here and there. Uh, it's, You know, there's not like a whole bunch of people you would recognize, but if you've seen the movies, you've seen John Carpenter stuff before, you've seen RoboCop, you'll recognize some people. And I think everybody does, you know, a solid job. You know, it's no award-worthy or anything. But, you know, it's, it's good enough for this, right? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, if you watch the the making of for Halloween three, there's a, a great bit with Tom Atkins talking about the problems with the movie. Like for instance, he says, "I, I mean, I was a shitty doctor. I was drinking beer, getting a six pack before going on the road with this stranger woman." <laughs> and so, I, I, I like that. Uh, even though I'm watching it, I'm like, I, I think one of the things that stuck out to me when. Uh, I was watching it with my wife is that she's like, of course she's going to fuck this woman. Um, so there's just like all these things that are very much a part of the formula, but then there's so much that it uh, steers away from that still makes it uh, a compelling movie in a way. Right. Right. Uh, let it, not, not bad cast uh, scene highlights that we like. Uh, I will just say that the scene where they're forcing the good Dr. Daniel Chalice to watch actually what the mask does. It completely kills this kid with the two adults in the room. Mm, mm -hmm. It's just so difficult to watch because like the kid like horribly dies and then all snakes and bugs and shit start crawling out of him. <laughs> and it just like attacks the other people and you're just like, Jesus Christ. And it's all practical. It's not CG. So it's like all real. And it's like, how do these actors have all these bugs around them? Ew. And like thousands of bugs. And 
Oh, that that scene still sticks with me. <laughs> so hard. Yeah, yeah, definitely those scenes. I also just like the mood of the Ohio town where the Shamrock, uh, Silver Shamrock headquarters is. Um, of this is kind of like scary town because I mean that's how I feel. You know, when you're driving around Texas, there's all these small towns, and then some of them they just look like they haven't really aged since the '50s, and. Uh, like this old factory and like quiet town simple simpletons just going about and then there's just like this kind of like dark feel to it when you enter a town and i like that this movie kind of captures that that this is this is the the headquarters that keeps the the town running that's what keeps the economy afloat and uh there's like this one kind of like drunken man that that lives out there and um, I mean, he pays the price for just kind of like joking around uh, about uh, like what, what the town really is and what they do at, at Shamrock. And then he gets uh, uh, his head ripped off by uh, these Eric Trump looking people. And uh, so just those images alone of seeing like what these like suited people uh you know it's bad news when they're just staring at you like invasion of the body snatchers right. they're just wa- they're they're just waiting to sniff out a weak spot yep um and then let's talk quickly about uh how we mentioned earlier this has some of the same sh- similar shots to halloween so there's a lot of moments in halloween 3 where you'll see a character uh looking at something but then a figure or another person would come up right behind them or stand in the shadowy looking at somebody with kind of like the same musical element to it. So there's that kind of feel to it, like Halloween 1 and 2, wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I like that they did that. I think that's kind of like a trademark of Carpenter, I would say. You know, at least back then it was. So I, I like that aspect of it. Um are there any like behind the scenes stuff that we haven't talked about yet? Um, I, I guess we haven't mentioned that the movie says that it's written by Tommy Lee Wallace when originally it was written by a um, well-regarded uh, screenwriter at the time. Uh, he did films like uh, Look Back in Anger and The Entainer and Core Mass in the Pit. Um and he didn't really get into violence. He wasn't like a, a violent or a guy that included violence into his uh, stories. And his name was uh, Nigel Neal. And um, once it got into like Carpenter's hands, uh, he, he did a pass on it. And then Tommy Lee Wallace uh, did the last pass and, uh, you know, became what it became the very, the, the dark version. So uh, it, even though, yeah, it says Tommy Lee Wallace is the, the writer. Um, I think he mentioned that probably about 60% of the film is still the same DNA as what Nigel and Carpenter wrote. There you go. Um, and also, uh, one of the androids, the robots of this company. Dick Warlock. Dick Warlock, who played Mike Myers. Uh, Michael Myers in the previous film. Uh, which is kind of cool. Uh, yeah, I, there, there's a bunch of stuff about this movie that I think, uh, I think people don't give it credit because I think, I know I've talked in real life to people about this movie and they do not like this movie, but I just don't think they've seen it or they haven't seen it in 
decades. Yeah, I, for me, I think what helped me was <clears throat> I'm just I'm obsessed with the history and the behind the scenes that watching uh, the making of and like behind the scenes stories online um, make me more interested in what they were trying to do. And I think that's what ultimately had me turn. Yeah. It's just, it's a fun movie. And it is just, it's just, just like you, when you watch it, you just have to suspend disbelief of like everything that's happening. Just go with it type of thing. So, uh, yeah. Halloween three season of the witch, 1982, please find this movie, buy it, rent it. I think it is on HBO at the moment. So if you have the HBO go app, you can watch it on demand for free. Uh, and if you got some extra money this holiday season, get that Scream Factory version of all uh, the Halloween movies. Yeah, I think uh, not too long ago I actually saw them have copies at uh, Best Buy. Wow. And they, they still had slip covers on them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he likes the slip covers. Uh, yeah, so yeah, check I, I, I got mine pretty early, and I have the slip cover. He likes the slip covers, y'all. They're cozy, um, y'all. <laughs> Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The world's going to change tonight, Doctor. Happy Halloween. Stop it! Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. The night no one comes home. <laughs> <laughs> 